What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast, and we're here for episode 30. I believe that's right. Y'all know how I get down, but I've been on the street recently, so hopefully that is the right number. But I'm joined today by two passionate Magic fans to talk Magic basketball. I want to introduce RK first. Feel free to introduce yourself to the people and things you got going on. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, Beyond the RK on Twitter. Love uh, following the Magic, you know, big Magic fan, but just like putting out work on the Magic and, and NBA and data science, analytics, all that different stuff through uh, some different platforms like Substack and Switch Theory, B-Ball Index, and uh, just kind of my own Twitter and YouTube and all that kind of stuff on uh, Beyond the RK. And feel free to follow me there for my work. It's mostly a lot of data viz, data visualizations on, on basketball and hoops and T-Mac, one of my favorites, and the Magic, and just trying to scout other teams and put out work to help basketball teams look at their own scouting and, and different process, team building processes like that. That's How are you doing? Cool. On today's podcast, we got some breakdown hoop heads, true shooting, value over replacement, plus minus, raw matchup. We're going to get all into the X's and O's of basketball today. So I'm happy to have RK on here. And I want to introduce Steve-O of the Close Up Magic Podcast. How are you feeling, Steve-O? What's going on, man? Uh, doing well. Psyched to be here. Psyched to talk a little bit of magic basketball. Um, yo, I just want to plug Beyond the RK. Really big fan of his work. And uh, this is our first time chatting together. Also, first time chatting with you on a pod, Gifted. So, uh, really looking forward to this conversation, y'all. Hey, man. Appreciate you. Thanks thanks for taking the time, both of you guys. Can't wait to talk some Magic Hoops. Been following your work for a while as well. Absolutely. I'm very happy to have both of you here on the podcast. Today's conversation should be very fun. If you're a listener, make sure to tap into the Gifted Hoops podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. We've been super duper consistent, and I plan to keep this going for when the season starts. But now, let's get all that out the way, and let's talk about magic basketball. So, as you guys know, we're currently in a offseason where there is no NBA basketball. There's FIBA. We might slightly reference that, but not too crazy. I want to focus on the Orlando Magic and their vision as a team. And I think the best place to start this would be the year before 2023. For me specifically, I want to open up this podcast by starting with the first move, which in my mind put Orlando on the map when they made the trade for Wendell Carter Jr. I'm going to go with Steve-O first. What were your thoughts when they made that trade? I like how you frame that up, the Wendell Carter Jr. trade. Most people reference it as the Vucevic trade, which, I mean, I get, because at the time, two-time All-Star. But for the Magic, we we let go of Vooch, got back Wendell Carter, salary filler with Otto Porter Jr. and a couple first-round picks, which the Magic selected uh, Franz Wagner and this past year, Jet Howard. Um, that, that was like, for me, that was just like, Something that we almost wanted a couple of years earlier, but it was the true sign of, okay, we're done trying to maximize this past group. It's not working. There's some new contracts that are about to come up. Um, we're not going to pay those new contracts. It's time for a new era. So, you know, we shipped off one of the longest tenured Magic players of all time. He's leading scorer in 
like he leads the uh, the team history in a bunch of different categories. With I'm not sure about scoring. Don't quote me on that. Um, but you know, loads of different categories, beloved and and also hated by many Magic fans. Um, and we basically received some really foundational players and 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 assets which turned into foundational players. You know, Wendell Carter Jr. kind of went from. You know, in my opinion, someone who was injured all the time and a little bit of an unknown with some inconsistencies in his spot in California or uh, Chicago to to now one of the most underrated centers in the league um, who really kind of can do a little bit of it all. He can play a little bit of power forward, a little bit of center, um, decent rim protector, smart passer, really smart offensive player. Rarely do you have a complaint with him other than he misses 15 to 20 games um, a year. And sometimes you want them to be a little bit more aggressive. But um, that really was, like you said, Gifted, that really was the sign of of this new path for this team and where they've sensed, like, you look at this team from the deadline, the trade deadline two and a half years ago to where we're at today, um, and it's three and a half years ago. It's it's night and day. It's, it's And it's, uh, you know, as a Magic fan, someone who's been covering the team, I, I have more excitement today than I did four seasons ago with that different generation of, of players, just because my opinion, the ceiling is so much higher. Um, I don't know if you want more details about that trade, but I feel like, like you mentioned, that trade was just the symbol of this new path that we're going. Yeah, no, I think that your initial reaction to the trade makes a whole lot of sense. And I purposely said the Wendell Carter trade because while Vucevic was the star player in that, I felt like Wendell, when given the opportunity for that Bulls team, showed a bunch of great flashes. And for you guys, I mean, I would argue Wendell right now carries more value th than Vucevic. And now your core, it just makes a lot of sense moving forward. So, so to me, this was a win-win deal for the Magic. But I got to get your thoughts on it. RK, how did you feel when you realized that you were going to have Wendell Carter playing for your franchise? Hey man, I mean, I was as hyped as anyone for that trade. I I was super excited for the return. Like Stephen just hit on all the major points of of the turnaround and just basically the the rebuild starting that day officially. Them the team just like like you mentioned, we probably could have gone blew it up at any time. Probably a, a year or two sooner to maybe get a little more in in trade value for some of the other players like uh, Gordon and Fournier, but. Vucevic, I mean, that, that deal was peak value almost a year after when it should have been peak value. And it was just the right time to find a team that was trying to make the playoffs that was on the fringes that also might slip back into the lottery if they didn't quite win enough, like the Hornets and the Bulls were the team and they were the highest bidder. I mean, that, that probably means his value around the, the league was around there if, if that's how much the Bulls were willing to give up because that's, um, you know, a giant first couple first round picks and a young young prospect and i mean i i really liked wendell back as a prospect at duke just as a solid all-around big man i remember bagley or marvin bagley got a ton of the buzz back then as the lottery pick with a little more potential and skill finishing around the rim and the hops and the rebounding but wendell was just kind of more sound i guess and more that al horford comp just like fits like a glove like he's just can slide into any lineup as a plus defender four or the five be mobile enough to guard wings a little bit and strong enough to, to bang bodies with just about any big down low, like uh, maybe Embiid and Jokic, like anyone give give him problems, but he's a little undersized there. But 
I mean, his versatility and timing, and he still, you know, will we'll give MB problems from time to time, too, in the matchup. So, you know, it's a great anchor defensively, as that's, to me, is like kind of the polar opposite of Vucevic, that not to hate or anything there, but like the, my biggest, like, um, you know, I critique, I guess, of building a defense or the front court around Vucevic is just, it's hard when the anchor of your defense in, on most teams isn't necessarily a plus defender or giving his best effort every night or is trading buckets, even though he's so skilled enough offensively, he's one of those guys that can do it. I mean, any given night, he can give you 25 and 12. So, you know, that that is what you're kind of giving up to get that, to have a safe decision maker, good, good passer out of the post and touch finisher, touch mid-range scorer. But for such a dominant scorer and mid-range shooter with, like, jump hoop, hook as money as anything he, he wasn't aggressive he didn't draw contact he didn't draw fouls he didn't look for rim protection other than drop coverage falling back so there's just a lot of things that you know we're we're tough to watch when like i, I just appreciate the hustle and defense and, and rim protection of a basic defensive anchor that you can build a, a defense around like jonathan isaac has shown or or like a you know rob williams for a year for for boston or just just any type of rim protector like that. But, you know, you, you build lineups around what you have and, and the Magic were trying to compete. And arguably, if Fultz had stayed healthy with that unit, they're trying to build a playoff team with Fultz, Gordon, Isaac, Fournier, and Vooch as the, the offense. And, and you can see the outlines of, like, an eight seed or a seven seed in that play playoff territory. But it was just not meant to be i guess because there were a few more injuries and it was about time to make a make a trade because the the fans were kind of like fed up for something to happen and Vooch's value wasn't gonna get me higher than that so it, it was the right time and like you said it reset the franchise in a huge direction because wendell's like a, a perfect fit for just about any any lineup especially as a five where where you need like defense strong screens playmaking, everything from your big. And I, I just want to add one last little part too. Um, something that's like really sneaky about this and actually his agent got fired mostly because of this probably. Um, his contract that he signed, his extension that he signed with the Magic is phenomenal. This year he's only making $13 million and it's a descending contract to 11 Absolutely. Uh, basically 12 next year. And then um, the, his last season and, and three more seasons is going to be $10, 10 million. So it's like we have We're so just, much cap flexibility with him. Um, you know, it's it's stupid to have a you know top 10, 12, 15 center, however you want to rank him, but a really damn good center making – MLE or below the next couple of years, which is phenomenal. So, and he's at like 18 plus defense, and you know, just a, a little bit. He maintains that efficiency, gives you all around production. Like, you know, it, it's like a fringe, definitely starter level value. Not quite all star, but in the, those outlier talks, if he can hit those numbers of 2010 and a plus defense, but you got to be the right season, like the Hawks were three or four players on a on a really good team make the all-star team and and that's just the reason why but either way it's starter level player talent impact like you said for descending contract where the the value is like a, a role player or a bench player level contract where back in the day it was like five or six million and a, like the an mle value is how much it is now basically where everything's almost doubled from 
what whatever it is now 15 years ago but the money just keeps going up but you know that's uh as team friendly as a deal as it gets yeah that that is ridiculous value and people Losing have to money. understand the versatility that Wendell Carter gives you in terms of okay the shooting touch is still developing but it's clearly there he's comfortable he's super athletic and, and like you said he can be the back line for your defense and then on top of it we're only talking about player for player Wendell's value to me is going up while as good of an offensive talent as we saw for Vucevic to be it's kind of going down as he goes up and on top of that Franz was also in the deal so now it's like a complete reset in terms of this magic young core and I love what you said too because Markel Fultz that year in terms of the way he was turning his entire NBA career around the way he was getting to the basket playing super physical and then and then at the same time with Jonathan Isaac breaking out with his defensive profile I really viewed this magic team as a team that that damn like there's a lot of length here and Wendell fits into that idea perfectly. So this was an A-plus trade, but then you get Franz on your team. And I know many Magic fans speak about Franz and how good he can be. RK, how do you feel about Franz Bogner moving forward as your, you know, top two 1A player on this Magic team? Hey, I mean, Franz is a star already. I mean, he's, he's a young star in this league. Paulo or one of the top duos already in this in this league and you know on, on some nights he's definitely Orlando's best player most consistent scorer or at least half court pick and roll scorer and what's nice is Orlando's building out this offense with different types of offense and different versatile scoring aspects where Paulo can be more of an iso back down post up threat and, and creator out of the the elbow and the, the, the block and mismatch hunting there as a scorer and a passer or a short roller and Franz and Fultz are more kind of pick and roll half court maestros who will snake dribble Euro Euro step put somebody in jail jail dribbles like Chris Paul and then Franz normally breaks out one of those finishing moves at some new move every year like he's he's hitting like the the Franz or the Dirk fades like <laughs> over uh he hit one over Luca to kind of like close a game against Luca in Orlando that was pretty cool and uh, I got to see that one live with the fam, so always, always cool for that. And, you know, Franz is killer. I mean, Wendell, we were just talking Wendell, too. Wendell led the team in impact, according to Cerebro Sports, and just outpacing Franz and Paulo all around plus seven C-Ramp. And in a thousand, just under a thousand minutes together, Wendell, Paulo, and Franz had a positive net rating, plus 2.3. And when you add Fultz to that unit, 680 minutes, to, they were uh, plus... 1.7 net rating and like some fun facts there like Mar once Markel Fultz returned to the lineup I mean that was as everyone on the team says like the big game changer this year like they were five and six with five and 16 without him he returned to the lineup and they were 500 over the next 58 games with seventh best defense sixth best free throw rate and one of four teams with three players driving to the rack at least 10 times per game with the Clippers Pelicans and Celtics there so they're 10th in drives, 12th in points of turnovers, 15th in pace. They're like just all these stats that show that they're playing defense. They're they're hustling off off turnovers. They're and most importantly, just endless paint paint and sprays, driving kicks, like break breaking down the defense, getting into the paint, 
making the defense collapse and kicking out, whether that's a Palo post up or or ISO or or yep. like we said, in pick and roll and just front specifically is, um, like I said, I mean already an All Star. He's like mm -hmm. one of our the, the team's closers. He was fourth in fourth quarter points for among all players as of January and fell down to about ninth by the end of the season. But he was just known on, on Twitter, magic, magic Twitter, like fourth quarter Franz, like we know he was coming to play. Fultz too at, at moments started to earn that rep to, as a closer, but, but Franz was the guy at any time he got looks and he's just super efficient, good at, good at kind of everything. And, not to compare two white wing guys, but Austin Reeves and him just remind me of each other a little <laughs> bit. We're super efficient, super just good decision-making basketball players who, who can handle the rock, run, pick, and roll, shoot, dribble, pass, make good decisions. They can go off for 20 any night. They can play plus wing defense. Just a, a good basketball player for any team. And he hit 19 points a game, shooting 50 or 49, 36, 84 on pretty high volume so he uh definitely stayed efficient and was over one point per possession on just about overall and and just about every every play type i think or, or at least overall as as an offensive score yeah he was great man and um the thing that i like the most about franz's game is he can play off the ball he's good on the ball He's a, a fearless guy in terms of sh shot making. And the funny part is, from his profile, you might not think it, but he's also sneakily athletic. Like, he has a couple crazy posters as well in his game. So he has the package to be a very potent three-level scorer. And I love how you highlighted decision making. Because to me, the most valuable trait in basketball, before defense, before shooting, before playmaking, is the IQ of the player on the floor. How are you going to be able to impact these lineups positively? What metrics? Like, where are you with that in terms of Franz? And Franz has been great at that at such a young age, which I'm kind of jealous because as a Warriors fan, like, we could have had him. And just imagine that Franz and was in a goal such a system. And that would that would have been so disgusting. Not Lamella runs with Steph Clay and Draymond. Oh what man, ridiculous! So close. I mean, actually, so like you can't win every year. You know that if we wanted to say one negative thing about Franz, which I'm not, is he doesn't have a mid range game yet. But other than that, man, like you can't say anything bad about the guy. He's he dunks on people left and right. Um, you know, I mean, not like every every moment of every game but he you know you'll get a poster every every couple of games out of him um you know rk said it said it beautifully but it's just like he's he's fun to watch smart cutter runs a pick and roll really well when when he's got the ball in his hands um good defender can improve there a little bit but you know a good defender can can and continuing to get better there it's it's gonna be fun to watch him and paulo grow together and that does take us to the other guys that you also drafted before we get to, you know, obviously, Paolo. Jalen Suggs. I want to get your guys' thoughts on, on him. I kind of felt that his defense is legit. I'm just wondering where he slots at in terms of Markel, Cole Anthony, which in my mind, 
I think Cole Anthony's good, but I do believe he's better as like a six man type of value guy. Suggs is still developing like his overall offensive game, but in terms of his passing and his defense, those floor uh, pieces for him are there. Where do you see the guard situation for Orlando maxing out as? Um, I'll let RK talk about the numbers a little bit more. I'm sure he's got those, like, can pull them up at his fingertips. But just, like, that. feel, team sure. construction, fit. Um, yeah, man, so I don't know if we have our starting number two guard on long-term on our team yet. I'll just say that way. So, like, when it comes to, like, Cole, Suggs, even, like, um, you know, Jed Howard. Um, I don't know if we have our guy who's going to be our starter in three years from now when we hope to be a really competitive playoff team yet. That that might not be the okay. case yet. Um, but to speak about Sugg specifically, like his defense is is already pretty darn elite. Um, I'm not where I'm not sure where it stacks up against like the rest of the league, but it's probably pretty damn high. Um, you know, his offense is is. He kind of fits more in that like combo guard role where it's like you don't want him being the primary on every possession, but like right. he can definitely handle the ball as a secondary playmaker. He can run the ball in transition. Um, he's a pretty smart passer. People won't really realize it yet, but like he's dealt with a lot of injury so far. And I think that that's had to come with why he's had so many struggles with his shot being consistent and not really being there. But if you look at his numbers from like the start of the year to the end of the year and you start breaking them down from like the halfway point and get closer and closer to the end of the year, his his shooting actually continued to get better over and over again um, percentage-wise. I think if you look at from like the last 30 or four, 35 games of the season, he was shooting like almost like 37 or 38% from three on, I think, four attempts per game. It's something around that. Don't quote me exactly, but it's it's probably pretty close to that. And so this is his first offseason actually healthy. Coming in, um, you know, coming in as a rookie, I don't really count that as an offseason because, like, you're you're moving, you're getting integrated with a new team and coach. They're probably just telling you to stay in shape, right, until you get to training camp. And then his next season when it's like, oh, shit, we know who this kid is as a player. Like, here's some things to work on. He, he was having ankle surgery. He didn't, like, really get, like, he was recovering and rehabbing all of last offseason. So this is his first offseason where it's like, shit, I'm healthy. I'm going to go do cool things like basketball without borders overseas. And I get to work on my game without having to rehab an injury. So I really do think we're going to see Jalen take this next step in his game and then hopefully find some more consistency with his shot. Because if he can start making his three pointers, you know, at decent volume from three, then we might have a starting center or a starting two guard on our team. Um, you know, as of now, it's yet to yet to be known. Um, but that's like my kind of theory on him. Um, I agree, Cole. He's he's awesome. He's a really fun offensive player. I think defensively and size is what kind of keeps him in that like um, you know six man type of projection. I do want to shout out Cole did come back the same game Fultz did, um, and so having two point guards last year come back at the same time like. I don't want people to sleep on Cole because he's also a very good fundamental player for this team. His playmaking was only getting better last year, too. And, I, and I'm really high on him, too. Um, 
I'm fine with letting those guys battle it out to see who's going to be the person. But, um, you know, if I had to make a projection, you know, Cole, like Suggs might stick around a little longer than Cole. But, you no, know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and Cole was super efficient, like you said. Like, it was, it, the big thing there was just having a point guard, like, starting caliber in yeah. the lineup at all times, just compared to some right. of the early season lineups where Bull Bull was initiating from the wing, just running some ISO offense like the man, the, the baller coaster was let loose, but who doesn't love that? But uh, Cole was one of the more efficient shooters as a pull-up shooter and a pull-up three-point threat, 39% on one per game and 89% as a on the free throw line at 2.8 per game, second on the team in both behind Gary Harris, who basically just shot the ball so well from three that the Magic have no reason not to start him not to play him there he fits exactly what that lineup needs right now like you talked about steven where like just just that exact three and d guard role like the there's plenty of offensive creators we just need some some play finishers from the guard position who can knock down the three attack close out make a good team first decision attack the rack and some gary harris stats like basically his efficiency just shot up as his usage went down he went from 49% true shooting his first 20 games in Orlando up to 57% true shooting with friends rookie season and up to 62% once Paulo got here. And the usage shot from 20 to 16 to 12 all three years. And as that happened, his threes just ballooned up. Like his three-point rate went from 35% of all his shots to 55% and then up to 71%. And his efficiency stayed right with it with... 36% on 3.3 to start, up to 38% on five threes, and then 43% last year on four and a half threes a game. Like, if if, if Suggs has to, that, that's basically, like you said, like Suggs almost doesn't have to match that, but like he has to challenge that level of three-point shooting. Like he has to be a better option than that shooter and that solid team for his defense for the coach to play him, give him real minutes on a team that's trying to win. Every, every night and all that for, for the consistency reasons. But, you know, other than that challenge this season, I, I, I still like definitely his potential as just everything we touched on, like a just super strong point of attack defender, one of the most elite, like, ball hawks in the league where he's playing, like, defensive back almost, chasing guards around screens, like, beating them to the ball. Pick, he basically had a pick six every game. For, for a good layup off that where he would just like a stagger screen or, or a Chicago set or, or something where someone's running off the screen to come get the ball. He just beats beats the guy he's guarding to the ball from, from the baseline around the defense and like ducks under screens to do is just insane to see there. And um, another thing on Cole was his pick and roll efficiency was like sneakily as efficient as Franz for that first season with Franz where he got a ton of usage. So, you know, it, I, I was almost something of a critic of the pick when we made the pick because I liked some other players for their potential. Like Poku, maybe not looking as good now, but uh, Maxi and, and Bane just yeah. kind of fit this, fit, fit, I thought, our lineup, next, especially with Fultz as the other guy already there. That was kind of my thinking behind that, but... Cole's proven me wrong a lot as a decision maker, especially, I'd say. Like, he's his pick and roll decision making has been a lot more solid, consistent. Like, 
he's, so he's a reliable point guard. Cole last year was so fun watching him grow as a decision maker, in my opinion. Right. I just yeah. want to jump in. I just wanted to comment there because, like, it, it, to me, that's when I really saw it blossoming. Was and maybe it was happening a little bit before statistically, and I just wasn't like seeing it. But like, mm. it just felt like as a playmaker, the game really slowed down from him right around Christmas ish time. Maybe a little, you know, somewhere around there. Um, it was just, it was really fun, and and. Fultz gets all the love, and granted, Fultz is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but like Cole was a really big part of this team's success and going, you know, basically from that time that we, you know, going five and twenty. Um, you know, after that, we basically were a five hundred team, and 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 Fultz, major part of that. But Cole was also very much a major part of that too. So shout out Cole Anthony. Absolutely. I mean, like like you mentioned before, gifted. Like he he just fits a perfect six man third guard role. Like yeah, he's a guy that can come off the bench, be a spark plug, maybe go off for twenty, and one even slight edge above that that Lou Williams type, where he's just getting buckets. Like he can actually run the half court offense. That's really what yeah. is reliable about him and Franz and Fultz, and hopefully now Anthony Black as well in the pick and roll, where you just have all these ball handlers who can run a, an efficient drive and kick offense and pick and roll especially with strong screens from wendell around the iso paulo uh versatility that paulo brings as, as a one-on-one threat and i think what helps Suggs cole as a too, tutor, yeah oh, sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think what helps cole too is even though he might not be that plus of a defender the size that they're gonna have around cole in multiple lineups can make up for those flaws like having the personnel and the length in place for a Colt to play with and also his driving lanes and the way he gets to the basket with that he's still going to be a very productive player regardless of that right and he brings hustle he brings energy as a like even if he is a minus defender by size or, or speed like he, he's not not gonna try every night like he's a mean shot blocker like he, he brings all that and like you said just a lot easier to hide a, a, a point guard than a center where you where yeah. you're giving length and that, that's like the the core like belief of building at least the defensive side is like it's a lot easier to like cover up stuff with with length and and defense at every single position like six nine smart team first ball handlers with a on top of the defensive anchor of draymond just all-time defense there so you just have versatility length iq just smart smart defensive feel and just in in and easier to build around that type of offense, like you're saying. And I guess, um, like, I still could see Suggs becoming that dynamic guard option for us, but he might end up being a better fit elsewhere because of his skills. But, I mean, I, I think his his defense and then the three-pointer, if that hits, the defense is already there. So if the three-pointer hits, then he's a reliable, like, two-way starter with, with dynamic on-ball creation. And some of the good signs for the shooting, his he shot 1.1 points per, per possession on handoffs, where that was one of the better, uh, uh, what's it called, half court efficiency play types in the league or for the for the team. It was one of the more efficient uh, plays for the team, basically, where Suggs would just run a handoff or or an off screen, off stagger screen, like we mentioned before, and he he's a knockdown shooter, kind of running off the screen, uh, even. 1.0 points per possession off screens and a solid 0.9 point possession ppp running pick and roll and also saw his three-point percentage go up from 12 percent from year one to year two so 
just showing a couple good signs as a shooter. And one last thing is really just the consistency of the bench unit and everyone falling into their role. Like we were touching on, like Fultz being the clear starter, Cole being the clear second guy, and then Suggs became the clear third third guy or fourth guy even as Gary Harris was the starter. And on top of that, once Goga Bitaze was signed, those three kind of became like the clear bench unit. Like it was, it was clear Orlando had a second wave coming in of maybe not starters, but starter caliber, young prospects. That's the ideal. That's what they're fighting for and trying to give everyone competitive minutes at every position. And those three in 114 minutes had a plus 15 net rating, the highest on this, by far the highest three man unit of any on the team. So it was a short sample size. They, they signed them off waivers. I want to say from Indiana pretty late in the season, but you know, a, a nice sign for next year that we have multiple waves pre-established of offense and creation and just scoring creators that can dribble, drive pass, score themselves, whether that's Markel in the mid range, Franz at the, at the hoop or from three or, or Cole from, from three on the ball off the ball and then Paulo of course like we we mentioned a few times yeah I think this magic team just has many different looks and also even if there is some type of guard log jam you have talented players on the team that you can raise their value and trade for multiple assets moving forward anyway and like while Jalen Suggs has a lot to find out in terms of his offensive game as a Warriors fan he ate our food like i vividly remember that competitive up and down game he had like 37 points some something super yep. crazy and i'm like that i've never seen him like this yeah. that was his career high 26 points clutch steals yep. and a pull-up jump jumper against clay and stuff just like with confidence too and they needed him to do it at the end of the game to, to like score. he's had those moments yep. that's that's what's fun is like he had the game winner against chicago where he just pulled up at the buzzer for three on like a spinning step back he had four threes against the nets in one quarter once for 17 points and uh one of his pick sixes patented for a, for a slam like 17 points in the first quarter against what i think was the 2021 nets so with at least two of the stars still there if not all three at the time but he was just He's had he has his moments that really gives you encouraging signs like that. But you know you gotta put it all together, and like for for anyone to go become a starter and then a star in this league, it's consistency, and he brings that on defense. So can he just bring that a little bit more on the the shooting touch? And I mentioned before I talked talked about Suggs with Ez on his podcast, and I, I believe is at just beyond Ez. I have to double check, but he uh, we talked a little bit just about his shooting development as well and where, where he could become. And, you know, before the draft, it was comp to like Brandon Roy or Chauncey Billups and those type of big, strong, good decision-making scoring guards. And, and they're probably, you know, reaches, but at least the, the play type of that arch type of just a super strong wing scorer who could back you down a little bit. ISO, ideally like Drew Holiday. I see the shooting look looking a little bit like Marcus Smart at the moment, where it, it was super streaky early. On, and he becomes a little bit more confident with the volume and he's already shown enough promise there where you know it, it's definitely positive returns and I think what one last thing is just the culture with Jamal Mosley being built here and this team and this roster is is all conducive to player development and players fighting for minutes fighting for playing time fighting for their their role and you know because of that hustle culture being set here that 
he's shown improvement when he was hurt as a finisher around the rim. He, so he just continues to improve. So as long as that, that happens, that's all you can ask. And, and he competes like hell. So that's that's what you want from, you know, your, your ace defender on the wing. Um, I just want the listeners to know that we love basketball because we're spending this much time talking about Jalen Suggs because he because listen the feel and, and the indicators are there but it's I held you guys off long enough we got to get to the biggest draft pick of them all Paolo Bancaro coming oh, in bitch. people got to remember this too no revisionist history will be allowed on this podcast I remember this the magic like people thought the magic were not going to draft Paolo it was up in the air DraftKings mm-hmm. and all of these other sites were like sure that it wasn't going to happen. And they shocked the world by taking the best player. So they draft Paolo. And I got to really point this out, right? What I remember vividly from watching him play, the opener versus Detroit. I was in the arena. I was in the Pistons arena watching it oh, no. from 10 minutes away. I literally saw this man play. And like... No stats, you know, by score. Just off the eye test, he looked physically different. The decision-making and all of that was there in his very first game. I'm pretty sure he had, like, 20 points. And the way that he gets to the free throw line, I mean, the way he opened up, sorry, the way he started the year, I'm pretty sure he was number one in free throw attempts for, like, a good sample size of months, maybe two to three months, where he was getting the biggest whistle in the NBA. And him showing that already as a rookie, you just don't see that type of profile. And it feels weird because I feel like Paolo might be one of the most disrespected number one overall picks because no one talks about it. And it's like, this guy just casually averaging 20. I get it. Like his overall shot efficiency wasn't that great. But the fact that he was able to come in day one on that team, be their decision maker and this versatile guy that just has size, length, and showed multiple peaks and values of what he could be. He was very impressive here his rookie season. Steve-O, how did you feel when your team first drafted Paolo, and how would you evaluate his rookie year? I got receipts, man. I got receipts that said I wanted Paolo for okay. a really long time. I was not yeah. on the Chet bandwagon fan. I was not on the Jabari Smith fan. I was Paolo from day one. Um, once I started doing some draft prep, it was pretty easy for me to fall in love with him with the number one pick. And, uh, the only reason why I say that is because 99.9% of the time I, who I want is not picked and, and who I want is also <laughs> ends up being like a shitty NBA player. Cause I'm not a draft expert. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, but yeah, man, Paul is dope. He's exactly what we needed. You know, like a dude who I'm, the Magic haven't had a player average 20 points per game since Steve Francis. All right, let's just put that in perspective. Um, uh, yeah, it's been franchise. a minute, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Steve Franchise, exactly. Uh, and I love Steve Francis, don't get me wrong, but that's how long it's been since we've had someone average 20 points per game. And to have a rookie who can do that, for, who's got a, who, who's got a mid-range, Who's got a paint game? Who is sort of projecting to be a you know someone who's who get more efficient from three, right? Right now his three's a little streaky, but he'll get it there, I'm sure. Um, you know, having a three-way score, three-level score like that is just like insane. And yeah, I don't know the numbers exactly, but he was getting to the line like eight plus times a game um, to start the year. His defense, you know. 
he gets a little lost sometimes every now and then doesn't like rotate properly but overall that the the defensive issues for me and seem more as like a, a help defender than like a the one-on-one defender he's actually like fairly decent one-on-one i'm gonna reference fiba right now he's he's playing the five with with fiba and that's not going to be his primarily role with the magic but as he's gaining this experience as more of a role player having to focus a little bit more on defense and rebounding um those skill sets are only going to help make him a better wing player that can situationally go into a center rotation and just make him a little bit more versatile because now we have him he could play the three the four the five occasionally you know it's like he's just what what you need we haven't had a guy that just go get fucking buckets sorry for the language but i just get really excited talking about him um yeah he's dope i don't really know what else to say (laughs) thank caro i mean he's he's a star man what's not to like what's the yo what's your most impressed rk let me ask you a question man in your opinion what was your biggest surprise about his game when he Man. joined the Magic, great question. Biggest surprise, probably that immediate impact as as a score and almost like a culture changer. Just like the the show is in town, like you know you're getting like a, a, a star to watch, like that's getting promoted, like a mix of Melo and LeBron, like these this crazy super athlete of who's just super bulky. He's like the same height as Jokic, with but about twenty or thirty pounds less. But that's like 250, 6'10", 250 compared to like 6'11", 280, I think, or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, that is just an example of like he, he can, especially for the Olympics, a little more agile maybe. But he can play a little center, play a little five as an offensive creator at that size. But like you said, maybe giving up Loa's defense. But, I mean, a ton of great things to just love about him. I mean, the, the mid-range touch and, and the tough shot making is obviously my favorite aspect okay. i mean a- as a fan like Melo's one of my favorite players of all time and and braun too but just the Melo's tough shot making and, and baseline fadeaways and elbow jab pull-ups like just paulo having that in his game and like breaking it out for fans like at, at the right times like as a, the magic secure a win that he'll go and like just just drop a little baseline fade for for everybody with a minute to play just just for good good measure like it's super fun to watch basketball wise and like the stats go for days like the free throws you guys touched on like he's top 20 all time as a rookie for volume at 7.4 free throws a game tied with zion so you know like he's a mismatch hunting tank just attacking the rim with a head of steam drawing fouls like like easy and that's got to be the most impressive thing because early on it was like shack level volume and efficiency of 74 percent like a lebron or something like that as a prospect so it's just you get the the volume threat and the efficiency where you're not actually taking him off the floor or anything like that you're not scared to play him at the end of a game where shack and dwight other magic stars number one picks would get the free throws but obviously like no one was excited to watch them at the free throw line for five minutes so that's one big difference where just the volume and efficiency there at his size as a rookie is insane as a free throw drawing just machine and kind of looking at his scoring efficiency going forward because if he's drawing fouls like lebron or zion and scoring the same 20 points a game that just a little bit more volume ticks that up to 25 28 real quick and 
you know, like you said, he, he probably has to become a little more consistent defensively, but um, his versatility probably was seen as a minus 10 years ago where, where he doesn't have a position, but now he can play three, four, or five, and he's the mismatch. He's the He walks into the league as this guy that can just post up anyone, speed past anyone. Any like he can punish. Man, like he'll, he'll hit like wings as, as like the Houston game was the best example of that where like he hit, um, I want to say Eric Gordon with like a hezzy cross step back slam where he just like sped right past him. And then right after that, Usman Garuba at center, like a, a pretty strong center for his size, both pretty young prospects, but he just beat him on a, on a baseline, like post him up three times down, back him down and then throw a spin drop step slam on him like. It was just overpowering the bigs and speeding past the smalls. Like he, he, he's a walking mismatch in that sense. So, I mean, there, there's a ton to like. His one-on-one game is insane. You caught his like dunk of the year probably in that first game. Like he came out with a bang, just throwing Ridiculous down a poster. That was he said that was his favorite dunk this year. He's had a lot of them, but I mean, how could you not? Your first game just come out banging. The some crazy stats from that game. Like he was the most points scored in an NBA debut with 27 since Allen Iverson 27 years ago and only three number one picks since 69 have dropped 25 five and five in their debut so it's Paulo LeBron Kareem and that's it that's the list freakish out there man like I went in there like okay fun we'll see like how competitive things are and Paulo just like stole the show with his his athleticism the poise the willpower, the resiliency. Like, I love how he's not afraid as a rookie to take the mid-range shot because most people are like, if you want it or whatever, but he has confidence in his game. And more than anything, like, while sure the defense could be better, I I think that the framework and the IQ is coming together. And obviously in FIBA, I mean, the work that I saw him doing defensively in FIBA, it's going to be scary for the league this year when you combine that with uh, how am I forgetting his name? We literally, this is so bad. Um, Franz. no, sorry, not Franz. Wendell. I, I'm really Wendell. Yes, I, crazy. Yes, Wendell and Power collectively, like the size and length and the switchability is the biggest thing. Having your five and your four, maybe three man, be that interchangeable like that to that extent to be switchable enough, and Paulo is learning the ability to play help side better. That's a very good combination for your defense. And to have a guy that's just not afraid to put his head down, play bully ball, punish switches, attack the paint, and get to the free throw line, which to me, by far, that was the most impressive thing from his rookie year. Because for a rookie to be leading the NBA in free throws as a rookie, you have to think about like the context of how insane that is. And it was by a pretty good margin at the start of the year, too. So I give him a lot of credit in that regard for sure. And rookies don't get calls. Like you have to make it clear no. like the ref has no choice but to call a foul because like that's how clear, un unstoppable, unguardable the guy is in situ certain situations with the head of steam if you don't foul him. And even then he's probably going to get a shot up. But he had a, so many head of steam plays like uh, this one crazy dunk on Jaron Jackson Jr. even where he timed it up perfectly and got the fast break. Paolo power slammed through it. Basically, Ja just got out of the way. Jaron went for the block from behind, and Paolo beat him to the spot. Yammed it. I mean, he he got the shot blocker on that one, and he just has a ton of those like highlights and dunks. I mean, 
another fun stat. Like he recorded two career highs in in his tenth career game, thirty three points and sixteen rebounds. Joining LeBron as the only teenager in NBA history to record that, and uh, the first Magic rookie since Shaq to do it, and a bunch of the stats, kind of just similar to you. You see a lot of these um, great names. I mean that he just racks up twenty point games as forty twenty point games, the same number as LeBron in his rookie year. And the last three players to score twenty plus in fifteen of his first twenty was Jordan, Zion, and Paolo. So it's just great names, great stats, and his efficiency fell off a little, and scoring fell off a little as the year went on. So that's one thing to check out. Like, what is it? His rookie season? Is it? Is it? You know, is what? What does that have to do with? So obviously, like anything, consistency and of the great play is. is finding that impact within his role and, and kind yep. of growing that role as a star. And, you know, we'll see, is, is Paulo going to be the leading usage scorer type? It, like everyone thinks is Franz going to sneak in there and, and take more shots than him going forward. Or, you know, kind of like Brown and Tatum. I mean, there, there's enough shots to go around for, for two elite wings like Kawhi and George or, or anywhere. So you just, as long as the fit is nice, which I think, really is especially offensively with with the versatility that both bring as like a, a methodical slowed down creator versus uh paulo's just all around one-on-one creation self-creation there so just a super versatile offensive attack and a ton to like about the offense going forward there i think that there's a ton to like with paulo on this roster for sure i do think though that for the magic ahead of 2024 this is going to be a team that is super reliant on their size their length their athleticism and their defense but there were moments last year where like the offense sometimes will look a bit wonky with the spacing i think the biggest downfall potentially for the magic this year would be the offense over the defense what are you expecting to see this year offensively from this magic team steve-o yeah man um you know there's gonna, it's going to be, I think, pretty similar offensive style. Um, the roster hasn't changed that much. A lot of, lot of dribble handoffs. Um, you know, that's one of Coach Mo's like favorite ways to run this team. Um, you know, there, he'll, he'll throw, there's definitely pick and rolls in there too. Um, but one thing that I think we'll see better is more spacing. Um, and. Yeah, the Magic were like a bottom five three-point shooting team last year in attempts taken and even percentage, roughly bottom five. Um, But this year, they're bringing back our man Gary Harris. You know, they picked up his option. He's back with us. I expect him to probably be shooting, you know, around 40% again next season. Um, they, They picked up Joe Ingles, and a lot of people are like, why are we signing a 35-year-old guy who's just getting off an ACL tear? Well, the dude shoots 40% from three on 4%, uh, you know, four takes uh, a game. A smart passer, um, doesn't need the ball, but can definitely play with the ball. Um, you know, and that right there is just someone at the wing that can shoot the ball at a high level. So now, now we have Gary Harris at a 40% shooter. We have um joel ingles at a 40 percent shooter and then you have guys that are going to internally continue to improve now i don't expect everyone to all of a sudden take a step in their shooting but i do expect some people to be more consistent with it and better with it you know i do expect franz to take a bit of a step i do expect um 
you know, Suggs to take a bit of a step there. Um, at least percentage-wise, I'm sure he'll have some off nights. Um, but I do expect him to do a little bit better there. Fultz, I don't expect to be better there. Um, mostly because he's just never going to shoot the volume to, to bring the spacing. Cole, at, at least be the same he was last year, which was pretty good. I'm not sure how much better of a shooter he could be, but you know maybe he can be a better shooter and continue to improve. Um, you know, Goga's even shot a couple of threes. Granted, the centers are never going to take a high enough volume to really affect spacing to where they're going to be respected from the arc. But, um, you know, I do think we'll slowly get there. Now, my goal is that we just get to maybe around, like, the at least out of the bottom third of spacing, right? Okay. If that's possible, right? If Jonathan Isaac comes back, he can be a decent shooter. He's shown that he has some spacing abilities there. Um, you know, probably not a 40% shooter, but maybe he can get to like 36, 37%, um, you know, with his touches when he's, when, if he's healthy and available. So, um, to me, that's the biggest thing. Uh, last year, we just didn't have it. You know, we had guys that were injured and just not enough internal growth that happened. We had some guys grow throughout the season. Um, but I don't know if that really, that growth was enough for them to really like change their, perspective on how they're playing so hopefully we see a little bit more this year i think for me the biggest x factor for the magic and you guys might disagree so let me know how you feel about this my vision for this team and this is me obviously being like third party outsider fan or whatever but i like the idea of franz and paulo pick and rolls in terms of the of like the switches paulo is going to be able to punish and if Wendell can get himself like higher in terms of corner three-point shooting, it's like, okay, now you have a dynamic pick and roll where, you know, Franz, I believe the indicators for for his mid-range have shown. He still has to like do that on more volume, sure, but the three-point shooting alone is gonna make that pick and roll combination work. And Paolo as a diver in the pick and roll, I don't have the numbers, but I love him being the secondary playmaker out of that. Because there's so many actions, like he can either catch it and post up, he can pass to either the left or the right wings. The versatility with that is great. And Wendell specifically, I I trust the shooting indicators with him to continually develop. And if that team moves in that direction, I think that really maximizes your offensive approach, I think. RK, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think Orlando's offense next year comes down to pretty much what, what it looked like once Fultz and Cole came back uh, to the season last year where, where they're trying to be top 10 in defense, top 10 in drives, top 10 in drawing fouls, and building a drive-and-kick, paint-and-spray type offense around that where it's constant, like was y'all mentioned DHOs, Chicago sets, a lot of Horns flares for is a, a fun way to get Franz and Paulo both involved where you have two screeners at the top and you have kind of like a Spain pick and roll or a horns action where you have multiple screeners moving to the to the off the ball at once threatening the roll the pop and you're able to just take advantage of everyone's versatility and, and scoring threat that way and um, really built off their defense should be their identity because it starts with Coach Mosley's hustle and put it, putting that 
you know, the bell and the hustle bell in practice right when he got there, just emphasizing hustle plays, rewarding that type of culture, like diving for loose balls, rotating strongly and just knowing where to be and um, not taking gambles. And Orlando saw that play out. I mean, the, the players, Fultz tweeted out fourth seed back when he was uh, just coming back from injury last season, I think. And he, he was just projecting, like, we're going to be a fourth seed once I'm good to go, once I'm healthy. And, you know, the way the East shakes out, I mean, there, there's a lot of teams that Orlando could jump if, if they're, you know, if they repeat as top 12 defensively, that, that's a contender status level defense. So there's now Paulo, Franz, Fultz, and Anthony Black, all six, seven ball handlers running pick and roll, ISO, handoffs, plus Cole off the bench as well. And Black will probably come off the bench at first as well. But just... Non, all these different guys that can drive, that can push the pace, that can grab the board with good feel, good vision, all lethal on transition. I mean, there's not one player that hurts them in transition other than like maybe a big, but even then they can knock down the trailer threes. And like you mentioned, I mean, Wendell's development there from a volume standpoint and corners specifically would be huge. And that's a big question mark kind of with Fultz and Wendell bookending the lineup around Paulo is you can only have so many non-shooters on the floor. And if you think Fultz isn't necessarily progressing there or going to be a, a catch-and-shoot threat that defenses are scared of, your point guard, you basically need four knockdown shooters around that yep. or it's going to be really tough to create space. And thankfully, Fultz has showed you know a smidge of hope here and there. Maybe we're looking too much into it as fans, but like the, the form looked better on the last few threes. At the end of the season, there was some like pull-ups where it was all in rhythm and looked like his mid-range and like Twitter freaked out because he was like, oh, we've never seen him shoot a three like that where there's no, no hitch or anything. He just stepped right into it confidently. And so that's always good to see. Um, so, you know, the threes will probably define how good the offense is, like, like you mentioned, because a lot of the self-creation, the, the decision makers are there. there. Are there enough play finishers to knock down the threes, keep the ball moving? attack the closeouts and score efficiently and you would think year two Paolo, year three Franz and Suggs, Bolts and Wendell returning healthy, just a, a lot of things right at the moment for the for this basketball team on top of Anthony Black and Jet Howard being shot into the mix. Two more rookies that you know Jet has a ton of exciting tough shot making three point shooting versatility to his game where you know, you, you could maybe, my hope for him was maybe like a, a C, if not a six man, like the absolute hope is more like a CJ McCollum, like mid-range scoring guy who can run off some screens and, and hit a few dribbles, hit the, the one dribble pull up or just score at will from all three levels efficiently and shoot, hit tough shots. But, you know, that's putting a, an ideal out there, but it, it, at least the play type and the, 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 the archetype in that sense. But that's exciting and then you know anthony black as well is like super fun playmaker he's six seven who, who can run the offense and basically and i almost think of him as like an injury reserve at first where he he can if Fultz or franz or paulo are out for a game you just throw anthony black in that lineup and you're still getting plus defense length plus feel plus vision like all, all these positives of a team first two-way connector where they're filling out the rotation with these long, strong, smart decision makers like Fultz and 
and uh, Anthony Black, where I, I compared those two specifically to like Iguodala and Sean Livingston back in the day on the Warriors teams, where you're, where you're getting the, these just like strong, smart, two-way team first connectors who, who make any team and any rotation, any lineup better, as long as you kind of have that, that shooting gravity aspect made up for it around them and balanced on the court where maybe there's at this point you it's hard to get away with more than one non-shooter on the court at any given time just like any more one to one or two defenders that can't switch or can't guard one through five or at least one through four or three through five or a little bit of versatility there so those are things that are hard to cover up and at the same side of the the defense being hard to build around for a center who's, who's not a great defender then the flip flipping that coin is is a point guard that can't shoot is it could be hard to build an offense around that but Fultz is such a versatile mid-range scorer foul drawer creator he's a masterful point guard like he, he's just drawing fouls he's can do everything you want in a half court running the break flashy passes loves the game playing like playing with joy again and like Compared to, say, the Ben Simmons situation, looking at a few years back, it's really nice to see Fultz kind of have that turn somewhere else. And you hope Ben gets that chance this season with Michael Bridges and Claxton up in Brooklyn, maybe. But, you know, it's just nice to see Fultz, like, proven every single person wrong that talked about him for, for years that way. And just all these different versatile playmakers for, for Orlando to build around and... and know that their identity is just hustle back back to defense hustle drive push the pace drive and kick and a lot of that efficiency will come down to the shooting around it absolutely turning defense into offense is going to be the bread and butter of what orlando is trying to execute now we're an hour in the podcast i want y'all to know i saved these last two questions these are the biggest questions of the podcast so brace yourselves i need honesty from you guys i'm gonna start with steve-o steve-o i'm looking at you right now steve-o okay sell gotcha. me on jonathan isaac next season is he playing a lot of games is he in the long-term vision for this team what's the word with jonathan isaac man all right i'm just gonna be real um when jonathan isaac's on the floor we saw it last year um still a really good defender right still defending at a high level um good decision maker with the ball in his hands was was even hitting some shots from from three and 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 had a couple decent finishes he looked it looked good when he was healthy playing in those i think he was averaging about 11 minutes a game in 11 games um the problem is he then had an injury which which set him back um uh, but apparently all the word on the street is he's had a pretty phenomenal offseason and he's in great shape and same story we've heard for a couple of years now, but it's tracking that he'll be ready for training camp and ready to start the season. Um, so I, I have to give that caveat, right? Because he's injury prone. He's played 11 games in three seasons. Right. So now that that's out of the way, if he is healthy and if he can play 40, 50 games, dude, that's a game changer for this Magic team, right? Um, he'll be load managed some. He probably won't play back-to-backs. He'll probably have you know some form of limit restrictions on him um but you know he's a versatile defender even from what we saw last year that can still guard you know three four five even twos probably to an extent he might not be as quick as he used to but he's still you know a really high-end level defender um and 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 if he's back man that that's a that changed the game defensively for this team that means you know 
you're not stuck with Goga and Mo Wagner playing the five because you just have more options there. Um, and no disrespect to those guys, but in my opinion, neither one of them are really true second unit defenders for winning teams. Um, you know, you have more versatility on the wings because Jonathan Isaac can't, can also defend the paint, but he can also as a phenomenal wing defender and really get at keeping his, um, you know, offensive players in front of him. a really smart team defender as well. Um, you know, offensively, uh, you know, he's smart. He's, he's a lower usage guy, particularly now with how this team is built. You know, you just want him to hit open shots, make smart cuts to the basket. He's always had a pretty good IQ for making smart cuts. Um, you know, he's not going to be someone that's probably going to play, make a whole lot for the team. We don't really need him to do that, but he can come in, give you 40, 50 games, um, you know, playing good defense and, and, you know, hitting respectable shots from three and making smart cuts and finishes at the basket, man, the magic got a hell of a player on, you know, th th that's a hell of a bonus. Um, and, and he is truly looked at a bonus. And, and the great thing is, man, like let's say none of that happens and he blows his ACL again within 10 games of the season. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that. Mm. But with his injury history, you have to assume like maybe something could happen. Well, the magic can get off of his contract with only owing 7 million guaranteed by January 1st. All right. Or uh, January 10th, excuse me. Um, so like, not only is he, you know, the magic can, he's like unguaranteed the following year. So the magic right. can, can get off him pretty easily. Um, and also he could be used as trade filler pretty easily for teams that want to have some more uh, salary cap flexibility. So he's kind of like a, he can't really hurt us. You know, even if he's not playing cool, we have con, we have financial flexibility with his contract. Um, but if he's healthy, man, this defense can be real exciting. You got him, Jalen Suggs, um, Anthony Black, um, yeah, Markel Fultz on the wings, Fultz, Franz. Man, this is going to be a fun, Wendell, it's going to be a fun defensive team that can do a lot of switching um, with size and length, which, I mean, that's what you want in this NBA. I'm psyched. I, I really am um, excited to see if he can come back and be a contributor to, to a level. I don't expect him to play more than 50 games, though. 55 I had maybe. to save his name for once we got through the entire team because <laughs> I I was on the bandwagon for a very long time. Now it's been three years, so I'm slightly off of that bandwagon. Like I'm yeah. hanging on by like by like one pinky, right? But but like okay. the last time we saw him fully healthy, like he was defensive player of the year caliber that season. And yep. what I vividly remember is the shooting prowess in the corners was actually coming. I think he shot like maybe 33% or whatever from the corners. Granted, the volume might not be as high, but you saw the confidence in that shot rising. And then he doesn't play basketball for like three years. So I bring <laughs> him up because I think the identity for this Magic team is defensive first, obviously, because yes. the offense might not be as reliable as you would want it to be. But if you get games from him at that defensive level, you fully buy into that identity. And again, the versatility point you have another guy because as as tolerable as mo and goga can be jonathan isaac at his peak defensively is a much better player than those guys and will hold more value for this magic team so i just wanted to see how magic fans felt because he hasn't played in in, in a very yeah. long time so a lot of people are like kind of fully off of the bandwagon but how about you rk 
how does Jonathan Isaac intrigue you? And do you see him as like a long-term fit in the future for this team? Yeah, y'all, y'all hit on all the major points. I mean, he, his defensive versatility and impact is as strong as anyone in the league when he's healthy. Like, I I think of his defense back then as like an anchor, just like a Jaron Jackson or a Bam would be on defense. Now, can he get to those heights offensively is the big question of like such a big swing of his skills, whether he ends up kind of coming back as more of a role player or a starter or even a star when it comes to that high level impact defense. And like you think of the front court with versatility, like you mentioned between Franz, Paulo and Isaac in a front court together where you have just all around scoring and defense with an anchor like there. And I think a, one comp is, I mentioned a little bit, uh, the Celtics where you have these star wing scores in Franz and Paulo, like Tatum and Brown. And then you have Wendell and Al Horford kind of anchoring down low. And they have Rob Williams as this elite shot blocker who arguably impact wise, block wise, was almost the sneaky defensive player of the year when Suggs actually, or when Smart won it. And Smart, big fan of his defense. I, I'm one of pe- people that think Tatum and, and uh, Rob were basically just as impactful defenders for that team that year. But I'm glad Smart won it as kind of like, you know, the, the embodiment, the hustle guy who's who's right. been an elite guard defender, like only behind Drew Holiday pretty much in the league for years now. So it's nice to get, see one of them get recognized for their defense that way. And, just, and kind of with Suggs there as another comp, just these team first two-way players surrounding the scar, these wing scorers. And you can see, like, at the upside, Jonathan Isaac's defense fits perfectly for what this team needs. They have plenty of offense ready to go. You mentioned the the shooting signs in the corner on that playoff team was, was huge for helping them make the playoffs. Was He was, like, I credit him the most for that playoff run because we had a top 12 defense with led by him and Aaron Gordon's versatility, but especially his top-level defense where, like, for a minute there, he was leading the league in blocks and steals alongside Anthony Davis, like, tied just for all the way through December, I think, and then he got hurt for all that time. He was in a um, conversation but, for DPOY before he got hurt. I, I vividly remember his name and, and that season to a T. You're sure. absolutely right about that, RK. Yeah, I mean, he, he was putting up numbers and, like, clearly a rim protector, clearly a, like, either a one-team defense or at least an anchor for a, a winning team on the defensive end. But the offense is, is a huge swing. You have to be able to bring impact, bring positive impact in some type of role offensively. And you, you want to see – I'd like to see him embody a little bit of Bam, even though Bam has just a ton more skill, so it's not the best comparison there, but just in the handoffs and the – the ability to just kind of be a, a roller to the rim, finisher nearby, maybe have some some counter moves off that and knock down the catch and shoot three, like, would just be huge. But Bam is obviously much more of a point guard and, and ball handler and, and all these things. So, really, it's he has the defense to hang when he's healthy with anybody and to anchor a lineup there. And, you know, before Franz and Paulo, it wasn't long ago where Isaac was the untouchable player on this roster. Yeah. And when they were exploring boots trades, like I think it was Zach Lowe reported the front office saying like he's untouchable to hang up the phone when teams call about Isaac. And this was pretty early before the injuries or right as they were starting up. But, you know, that's that shows the team's value of him. And that probably doesn't change other than the fact that the injuries keep piling up. So the contracts are going to 
become more team friendly off that. And, you know, as, as long as he can play in this league and has value as a defender, I think, you know, especially at that, that contract, like it's just worth keeping him on the roster because you're not going to get a possible defensive player of the year impact for $12 million anywhere else. Or I think his is more like 15. Um, but you know, you're just, that's a rotation level backup level. And Wendell's on that deal too. And Fultz is kind of on that deal too. So you have just these, these young players, good players piling up on the team where none of the deals are over 20 million on the roster. They're all 12 to 18 or like three or five. And so every player is kind of movable in that sense. But, you know, Bronze and Paulo have pretty much secured their spots as the stars of the future. Bolts has just about earned that fan favorite point guard duty spot. And Wendell's done everything he can to, to be the anchor now. So, you know, Isaac's good enough defender to, you know, maybe placate Wendell there eventually. But even that is kind of a lot at this point. Like, we're just hoping he plays. We're just hoping he shows up. We, we've been, I've been hoping for his comeback for, for years, and he's comfaked us a few times with these preseason. I'm ready to go, and then not quite. But man, I'm, I'm just rooting for him to play. It's great to see him play on the court. I mean, he, he's just one of the best defenders in the league, one of the best I've ever seen, because you just get so much versatility and length and defense, just like a Jaron Jackson, where he's just everywhere at once, every, every play defensively, protecting the rim, switching out. And, like, I remember he was shutting down superstars that season, like, holding Anthony Davis and Chris Stapps to scoring way less than they would normally. Just having bad games, as an example. So that kind of shows his strength as a four or five man on top of how he was basically guarding wings. And, you know, he's probably best at the four. But he, he combined with Paolo at the five, you, you, you could just play them together as rim protectors if you wanted to be a just mix up the versatility of a lineup. And kind of go all all versatile as a front court there, and that's the ideal that he plays eventually. But you know, we we gotta see him get back on the court, and anything would be good. I mean, just 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 playing a role twelve minutes a game would be great. I just imagine he's kind of on the Kawhi path playing time wise now, where back to backs are mostly out, and he's gonna be precautious at every turn just to keep his career alive and and well and as going as long as possible as he should do for for himself as as a player, and you know, look to extend these deals because he was a top six pick and has all this potential impact where he could be, you know, getting ma big money as a, as one of the best defenders in the league, as Gilbert just showed. But you got to show it on the court consistently and and anchor that defense a few years in a row before teams are ready to kind of believe think of you as Anthony Davis, where they'll put up with the risk because of the idea. Hey man, I I I love how that went. I'm telling you, in preparation for this podcast, I said I'm gonna ask him the Jonathan Isaac question. I'm gonna wait. We're gonna like <laughs> go through all these questions because to me, Jonathan Isaac, ironically enough, is He's such an embodiment. Him. Yeah, like I'm sorry. I'm confident to say that there's no other podcast that is gonna spend 15 minutes talking about Jonathan Isaac and his future and. <laughs> I wanted to do yeah. that because to me, Jonathan Isaac, ironically enough, is like the symbol for what embodies magic basketball, like the length and the size, the versatility, like where the NBA is going now is they're combining skill and size 
at pretty much every position. And almost more than any team in the league, the Magic are a team that are trending in that direction. Anthony Black, super long athlete, size, plays defense, can play make. Wendell, Paolo, interchangeable four or five. And then with Isaac, it's like this guy that's long enough to guard fives, threes, fours, and, and sorry, even in spot minutes could also be switchable on guards. Like you're talking about length and size of every position. And I just feel like for him, he hasn't been healthy enough to show that value to adding to the versatility of the magic. But maybe we see it, maybe we don't. I just had to ask you guys that before we get to the final question, which here, this might mm -hmm. be easier for you guys. What are your expectations officially on paper, on the record, for the 2024 Orlando Magic? Um, playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Playoffs. Playoffs. Play-in for me. Like, if, yeah. we're not, if we're not a play-in seed at this point, that's almost borderline yeah. disappointment. The way this team is talking, the way this team views themselves as – just a hustle culture like the the front office is saying we're ready to win no more giving young prospects minutes just to do it like we're trying to win basketball games the way Fultz talks about saying four seed and the whole approach and and just natural development i mean i think expectations they got to be in the playing tournament looking at next year's teams i mean that's eight through uh 12 i'm still getting used to these new rules i don't even know yeah, if that's I mean, right yeah um but you know and after or maybe it's no seven through ten. Sorry yeah. for the plan, um, but you know you got to be top ten. That's like Charlotte and Bull Chicago territory. We almost snuck in there last year, and just I want to say up to the final week, just just missed it. But that just shows you like at the pace we were going last year, we're a five hundred team. The, the Magic are, and they're they're a top top twelve in all the hustle stats and the defense. And you just got to see expectations. Got to be playing, but you know, I I'd say upper ceiling of of being one of maybe maybe not home court in the playoffs, but five six seven seed. I mean, probably aiming for it, like like you said that four seed. But there's a couple contenders still in the East that are probably a bit too good to get up on that level with you know Milwaukee, Boston. We'll see what happens to Philly, but you know the, Miami could get a little older and maybe get Dame, maybe not. But we'll we'll see. But you know, there's the East is a little open in that that four to eight category at least, so I, th I think that's Orlando's for the taking. I, I'm more on the playing range. I think that's like pretty comfortable there. Um, you know, rough, rough uh, win projection like forty to forty three, forty four wins. I'm kind of in that space with this team, and mostly like. I still don't know how we're going to be health-wise. If we're average, league average health-wise, then we should be pretty solid. Um, and also just because I think a lot of other teams also got a lot better this 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 offseason too. Uh, the league is really hard to win in. And as much as I love Orlando and think we are making those steps and going in the right direction, um, I'm not sure I'm ready to say we'll be a, a top four, top five. I do think the seven, eight, nine right that's right where we should be or, or at least where i think we'll be um 
you know, and and it's a young team. There's still going to be some growing pains to go through, but but I think I think we're on the right track, and I 100% agree. If we don't make the play-in, and if we, I'll say this: if we don't make the play-in and have a good play-in game, even if we lose, it'll be a disappointment, right? I could be okay with losing the play-in, um, simply because of lack of experience in those types of games and environments. Um, but I would like to at least be like really competitive in 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 however we end our season so um but i'm expecting to have a good play in the mid-season tournament cup i'll be home for one of those games in november which will be really exciting i'm excited if the magic make the play in i will be at that game i'm not sure where it's at but i will fly to it and 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 spend way too much money and it's gonna be a lot of fun um and i'm yeah man go magic Man, this happening. Yeah. I mean, follow All Star season is that is that the expectation now? Like coming off the Olympic play or not Olympic? That's sorry, mad like, for International player is it is is the All Star next? I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have the buzz. He'll probably hit the numbers again. I mean, if he hits twenty five and the Magic are in the playoffs, I mean, even if he doesn't hit twenty five, he still might make. It. He almost made it this year. I think it was like if, if the Magic had a better record. And, yeah. and we're in more media people's mouths. He would have had a better been shot. That conversation for sure, right. yeah. And he's really been like marketed by Team USA as one of the faces. Like he he's really like being a young face of the league, almost prominently, and that that just helps with the voting and recognition from from coaches and and everyone for for when you're making tough choices about All Star. But you know, I think that's something of an expectation. Could at least one All Star between Franz and and Paulo making that jump. And like you just said, it comes down to the wins. I mean, if they're they're a three seed, maybe they both make it. If they're an eight seed, maybe one of them sneaks in. It's hard when you're an eleven seed to to have an all star, yeah. even if you're putting up solid numbers. Because the way these games are going these days, there's there's a twenty point score or a couple eighteen point scores on just about every team. There's enough shots for everybody to go around. So, can you be efficient? Can you bring winning impact? Can you win games and get those numbers in your role? Uh, that, that's the the question there, and I, I I think one of them has a pretty good chance. I'd probably say Paulo of, of the two. Like I, I expect Paulo to be the All Star face, taking even just a small leap as a year two with the experience from international play. Like you mentioned before, he's playing some small ball center, getting some mismatch hunting versatility. Yep, playing with like ease out there, just a transition tank, a, like a force, just like showing off. The, the ball handling and play finishing slams, just unstoppable transitioning with a head of steam. So just a, a ton to like it as a, a star going forward. So I think for me, as a outside perspective on the Magic, I've had this conversation multiple times. Shout out to my guy, Tony. We talk on the phone about basketball almost all the time. And he's argued me like, oh, the Magic are coming. He, he's been hollering the Magic for like three years, right? So, you know, so like... Yeah, he 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 is very much a fan of this Magic team as a Heat fan. So, like, he's rooting for y'all. But the conversation that we had was, okay, for the Magic to make the playoffs, ideally, the teams you're talking about, uh, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Cleveland, the Knicks, Miami, like, those are the other teams. But the teams that you would directly be competing would be, like, the Hawks, the Nets, the Bulls, and the Pacers. Those are the real sure. teams. Detroit has has a hat in this conversation as well. I do think they're going to be better with Cade, Asor, 
the new head coach who is a great youth coach because obviously what he did for the Suns was big but I think that's the real conversation and I guess my question is if it comes down to the Pacers and the Hawks to make the playoffs I think that becomes a real conversation I really do and I think it's tough because I think the Pacers before Halliburton got hurt were like in that conversation to be like this really good team they were surprising a lot of people but at the same time the Magic are just gonna have better um I guess overall depth it's weird because the Pacers team doesn't move you on paper but they somehow win a lot of games when Tyrese Halliburton is at the helm where do you guys think the Magic fit in that conversation because if it's a a winner go home do or die game the defense is what is going to carry the magic in my mind. Yeah, seeing their hustle, you know, just like alarm time. Like Stephen mentioned before, just making sure they, they show up and, and give their hustle. And, uh, you know, as long as they give their all, like they, that's the big thing about these Mosley teams is they just don't give up. They're, they're the big difference between previous teams down 15 no no lead is safe right like they're just the second team comes in and they'll hit you just as hard and the effort is almost better coming off the bench than whoever was out there last and you know that mentality just that dog mentality should keep them in just about any game especially a a one game setting and like like you mentioned that's all you can really like hope for and expect is just just fighting take that next step as, as a team that's slowly building from within and some realistic competition there in that seven to 10 range. And, you know, like basketball happens, players get hurt. They, they get older, young players age into their prime a little bit more. So maybe one team falls off as another team ascends as you see there. But, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is, is one of the best passers in the league, one of the best playmakers, creators in the league. So, it's no joke that like he's just creating threes on his own as as a driver and just super high field decision maker, scorer, all star type. You know, just su- super good player. So no surprise they were they were winning a lot of games with him and definitely miss him once you lose your your playmaker like that with all these play finishers around them to not necessarily set him up and especially paired with Buddy Hield, sneakily one of just the best three point shooters ever especially volume wise and just just been a knockdown shooter for a while now so perfect match in that sense of just somebody to to play finish all those driving kicks interesting matchup if uh if it comes down to those 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 teams for sure in that range i mean but orlando's scoring versatility should be up there with anyone in that range in theory with you know even best case might be everyone healthy but that's that's unrealistic but you know, even if Isaac doesn't play a game and Anthony Black is a solid enough rookie to play winning impact minutes and just kind of fill in for the other the other stars, like last year's pace is what I generally expect of roughly 500 team, fully healthy, that, you know, they could push a little stronger if they're fully healthy or if, the, if they are fully healthy and other teams aren't a little injury luck their way. Maybe they do fight a little higher, but realistically, like like y'all been saying, like that playing range, five hundred is, is right where they're at already. So so why why can't they basically improve or sustain that level of play with little turnover and just adding 
another really good basketball player. We mentioned Anthony Black a little bit. He his defensive stats from Cerebro were like off the charts in this great FIBA U18 tournament. Just super great hustler. Can six seven point guard who averaged eight rebounds, two blocks, and two steals in six games during that tournament in FIBA U18. And just a, a nice 74 floor general rating from Cerebro as well. And putting up those like all around, filling up the box score stats at Arkansas as a freshman, 13-5, four assists to three turnovers, but two steals and half a block. So super energetic defense, 83 DSI rating from Cerebro, which is like pretty good. And then floor general, 71, like about average. So at least, you know, promising defense, decision-making, two-way connector, just another good basketball player to to put on this roster in a reliable pick-and-roll driver, half-court creator. And that's the other half of the offense going forward is the defense drive and kick off the pace is is one thing, but in the half-court, something's got to work. And that's where the versatility also comes in between a couple ISO threats with Paulo and a little bit of Cole, but mostly just pick and roll, driving kick, solid shot creation, good decision making from from smart creators with high field that are all tall and can look over the defense and make the skip passes from Foltz, Black, Franz, Cole now, not with the length, but as the pick and roll. And, you know, just a bunch of different ways that Orlando can beat you and sustain good half court offense no matter who's on the court, as long as they have one or two ball handlers that can that can run those type of sets with different shooters and scores and ways to score around that with Suggs running off his screen, a little versatility there. Gary Harris, same thing. Just being able to score in just about every way where the defense has to pick their poison. Yeah, well, I really want to say I appreciate the conversation we had, guys. We're at an hour and 30 on the recording that's what Magic Basketball does to you. Anthony Black, it. the Jonathan yes. Isaac corner. We, I really feel like we hit the the uh, inner workings of this Magic team. And me, as, as someone that is not a Magic fan like you guys, even though I do consume their you know thing as a general NBA fan, hopefully I was able to do a decent job at understanding some parts of, of your basketball team. But I appreciate you guys so, so much. I want to give you guys the floor individually to tell the people about your works because you guys work hard in the content creator space in covering the magic i'll start with steve-o and then we'll get to rk steve-o feel free to do that for the people yo what's going on everyone uh gifted thanks for having us this is a lot of fun um rk pleasure let's do this again let's 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 get you on my show um later on in the season man as, as things are getting a little bit closer it'd be fun to connect uh Listeners, viewers, you can find me at the Close Up Magic on Twitter or X um, or my personal account, which is also full of magic stuff, but also a bunch of other random, random tweets these days um, is uh, Steven with a PH0610. Um, We've been kind of keeping a little bit cool this uh, this offseason, taking a little break from the content creation, but... Once things start ramping up, getting a little bit closer to training camp and media day, uh, we'll be right back at it doing, you know, weekly or bi-weekly episodes of the rest of the season. So, thanks again. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you having me. Great talking hoops, Gifted and Steve. Happy to hop on the pod, talk hoops, talk some basketball, especially magic anytime. Uh, you can follow my work at Substack, YouTube, Twitter, all at the same handle at beyond the rk 
with that's beyond the arc spelled with rk at the end for those listening at home so i write a newsletter at substack i write um for swish theory and make data viz back in the day for b-ball index as well so you can find any most of that on twitter and try to just put out good scouting work and and trying to evaluate and capture different stories and player development and just impact and and fun fun players to watch and, and make different film breakdown videos and, and all that on youtube twitter subsect so find my work there should have this piece on aaron gordon come out eventually i think i've been saying that on like two podcasts now but we'll, we'll see but i can't wait for that one to, to come out but uh, just going over his impact and his journey uh, as a defender and player in this league so keep on the lookout for that and thanks again for having me absolutely and again please shout out to these guys their links will be in the description in the comments below big shout out to y'all because i literally just went on twitter and was like yo you guys want to do a podcast to talk about magic basketball and now we're literally an hour and 32 in the recording hey. so again i appreciate you guys my project like i'm really trying to push myself in terms of understanding how every team in the nba works and you guys contributed greatly to that vision for myself so i appreciate that um in terms of me tap into the gift hoops podcast this is episode 30 we've done a bunch for almost all the teams i would say we're almost halfway through the rest of the nba so tap into this podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, and also the video version can be found on youtube at gifted hoops everything is at gifted hoops except for twitter because someone has that at so it's gifted x hoops on twitter i appreciate you guys and we'll catch you guys in the next podcast that should be dropping either monday or thursday i record a lot of these podcast episodes in advance but support these guys and follow these guys the nba season is very very close it's been a very short off season in my estimation so can't wait to watch magic basketball tap in with these people. Have a good one. Peace out, people.